0: step back and look at the big picture of Israel because I don't want to have to keep going back and say no this is really Israel a lot of people go to the book of Revelation and say well where it says Israel it's not really Israel no it's Israel okay and, and I want to show you that today as far as setting I want to set a really good foundation not only from the covenants but then finalizing it next week in Romans chapter 9 through 11 because then once you have the foundation now we go to the book of Revelation and it makes a whole lot more sense okay So again, we've been endeavoring to answer some questions. Let me just give you some of them. Again, why is such a small country like Israel with a population of slightly more than 7 million that actually live in Israel and a total land space hardly larger than New Jersey mentioned in the nightly news more than any other nation except perhaps the United States? I mean, why is it that they are the focus of this world? Why is... In Israel, important in prophecy. That's another question. And, oh, by the way, let me can I can I show that in a little map? Yeah? And again, just to give you perspective, this is the Arab world, <laughs> and right there is little Israel. You can hardly really see it, probably from here, so you can't, because it's just a small one tenth, one tenth of one percent. I did find out for sure. One tenth of one percent is the land mass that Israel has in comparison to all the Arab world. I mean, why can't the Arab world just give it up? Right? Why do they keep knocking their head against that wall of trying to destroy Israel? They're so small. Just, why? Well, because it's, it's really uh, good versus evil. Okay? I, I'm not saying that all the Arab world is evil, but what I'm saying is it's this conflict that was actually predicted back in Genesis. Just a small, little nation. I mean, why would they be in the news all the time? Question, does Israel have part in the last day prophecies? A lot of people would say no. But again, and if so, how? I mean, are they part of God's plan? Uh, Do the boundaries of present-day Israel fulfill God's promises to Israel in the Old Testament? In other words, what God promised in the Old Testament, do they have that land that they have right now? Is that what God promised? Will the Jews ever realize the fulfillment of God's covenant to possess Israel as an everlasting possession? I mean, is that on the books from God that that's going to happen? Is Israel's presence in her land today the final fulfillment of God's promise to regather the people? Some would say today's Israel is the fulfillment. And it actually isn't. It might be the precursor, but it's not the fulfillment. And then finally, what events regarding Israel's total possession of the land remains remains unfulfilled? Um, And again, that's really the book of Revelation. From chapter 6 to 19... That's what needs to be fulfilled before Israel finally gets her land uh, in the millennial kingdom. Uh, just to throw out some words, uh, Millennial, and you probably hear it of amillennial, postmillennial, uh, and we'll cover those in a little bit. Amillennial basically means there's no kingdom. Post means that Christ comes at the end. We set up the kingdom, then the king comes. But, there's, but the two pieces that I, the two words I want you to think about is this. There's also called historic premillennialism, and futuristic premillennialism. Now the only reason I'm bringing that up is this: you might say, "Well, I'm a premillennialist, but you need to be a, a futuristic premillennialist." A historic premillennialist premillennialist says this: Yes, Christ sets up a kingdom. Yes, Christ is the king, but it doesn't have to do with the Jewish people. But you want to make sure that when you say that you believe in a kingdom, that you believe that not only do you believe in a kingdom where Jesus Christ is reigning on David's throne, but that it's, it's, it's a Jewish kingdom. okay? And so I want to make sure we, we see the big picture, not just pre-millennial, no, where the Jews uh, are inheriting the land. Well, let me give you an overview, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying through this because we've looked at a lot of this last week, but to do the second part of the message, you have to kind of get the, we've we got to make sure we remember this. The overview, and I gave you an overview of God's covenant, covenants with Israel. Um, there were f- basically four major primary covenants that he gave that were unconditional. The first one was the Abrahamic, and that's the one we're going to look at right now. In, in Genesis chapter 12. So if you're not there, please turn there, Genesis 12. You, you got the Abrahamic covenant, but then off of the Abrahamic covenant, which promises a, a land, seed, and blessing, okay, off of the O's. oh, do you have that? I have that chart, In this week, it's in the right order. <laughs> Ooh, you don't have to turn your head. Okay, you have the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 12, that's the key one. That is the, the, the key one, I'll just say that. Off of that, the land is the Palestinian covenant, Deuteronomy 30. Then the Davidic, off of the seed, and, and it's expanded in 2 Samuel, not only to a, a people, but also a kingdom and a king. That's where we find out the Lord Jesus Christ. doesn't name them, but then we find out in the New Testament that it's the Lord Jesus Christ that's going to be ruling and reigning. And then the blessing is to all nations. Well, the blessing is the new covenant, which is new birth. New birth, Okay. So we have off of the Abrahamic covenant, the Palestinian, the Davidic and new. By the way, don't let that pal- the word Palestine, you know, they cuz it's the Palestinian people against the Jewish people. No, no, no. We're just talking about the covenant from that for that land. It's the land. It's land covenant. Okay. So those are the four main covenants. And each one of these are going to be these are the three characteristics of each of these covenants. You have got to Okay, it's going to be literal. In other words, what God says, He's literally going to fulfill. Last week, I gave you an example. When it comes to the land, and it says it goes from the Euphrates all the way to Egypt, that's literal. I also mean it this way: when it when it says uh, to the house of Israel, to the house of Judah, it's literal. This is where a lot of Christianity, and we're talking the majority of Christianity, would say this. The Israel of the Old Testament is the church of the New Testament. They've been replaced. It's called replacement theology. That is incorrect. These are literal covenants that God has for the nation, the ethnic nation of Israel. So the first thing is it's literal. The second is eternal. In Genesis 17, we're going to see this again. Four times he says, This is an everlasting covenant. When you say everlasting, that's eternal. In other words, this is, Abraham, this is going to be beyond just you. It's going to be to your descendants and descendants. This is a covenant I make with you. And just because someone doesn't live in the land doesn't mean that they don't own the land. How many of you are landowners and you rent? You know, you rent someplace. You rent another, right? Just because you're not living there doesn't mean that you don't own it. Well, there's been many years that Israel has not been in the land, but it doesn't mean that they don't own the land because God has given it to them. Okay? So it's literal, eternal, and unconditional. Now, we won't turn there now because you're going to see this as you're flipping pages. Just keep note of how many times God says, I will. I will. I will. Okay? This is, this is what God says he's going to do. His name is on the deed, okay? His name is the one that says, I'm going to do this for you. And as I said, and we're going to say it at the end, the key to the Old Testament and the New Testament is to understand Israel. If you don't get this straight, it, you will end up in this muddy, always trying to figure out, you know, well, what did he mean by the house of Israel? How about you say this? It's literal. <laughs> It means Israel. <laughs> well, but Israel was out of the land. Well, that doesn't mean that, they, that God hadn't given it to them. It just means that that's in the future, right? That's why actually I'm a futuristic premillennial. A lot of the stuff that's going to happen is in the future, okay? Still, still about to be happened. So the covenants are literal, eternal, unconditional. And it's given to Isaac, uh, Genesis 17 verse 21 God recognizes Ishmael but he says the covenant is to Isaac 17:21 It's to Isaac that's the promised son and again we're going to be going through some of these over 200 times this is very interesting over 200 times God is called in the Old Testament the God of Israel over 200 times the God of Israel I'm protecting that little nation the God of Israel over 2,000 times, Israel itself is mentioned. Over two, I think it's 2,300 times. Do you see how important it is to understand that the, the word is literal? Because if you start saying, well, no, in this particular time in the Old Testament, it refers to the nation of Israel, but over here it refers to the church, it, it, it just won't make any sense to you. Over 2,300 times, Israel is mentioned. Well, who is, and, and I'll say right from the start, Every time, including like the two real key passages in Romans 11 and uh, Galatians 6, we'll see them in a moment. Every time Israel is used as a word, it means the nation of Israel. Israel. He's talking about Israel. Ethnic Israel. Okay, so that's just uh, kind of the, uh, the groundwork as we're... Well, let's read the Abrahamic covenant that God gives, the Lord gave to Abram. And again, that's Genesis 12, verse 1. Now, the Lord had, sa- had said to Abram, Get out of your country, in Ur, and, and uh, from your family and from your father's house, Okay, you're going to go from there, take the seven, six, seven hundred mile trip, to a land that I will show you. So there's the land. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Now, that's the seed And I'll bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That ends up being the new covenant right there. Okay? I mean, all the families. not going to just be the Jews. The Jews are going to be the conduit. That's what the Jews were given. The small little nation, but but out of there came the word of God, came the law, came the Ten Commandments, ultimately came the Messiah. The Jews would be used as a conduit to bless all the nations and that's why in revelation chapter five and you can just hold your hand and and um in uh, well you don't have to go i can just read it but in revelation chapter five remember when we were in the heavens <laughs> and before the throne and in verse twelve i think it's twelve let's see here uh verse nine actually and and um And the worship to the Lamb, which is Christ, it says, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. See, that's the new covenant. That's actually the verse that got us into this whole study. Because we asked the question, well, how is it that all the nations are in heaven? It was started with just the Jews. The Jews were the conduit. It was through the Jews that the Messiah came, that He came uh, as a lion from the tribe of Judah, as the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And, and now not just Jews, but of people from every tongue and tribe and nation can uh, get saved, right? Can have their sins forgiven by believing on what Christ did on the cross for them. So again, the particulars of the covenant. It had to do with the land, Okay? But notice it says, I will show you the land. It's going to be the I will. See, in, in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12, five times, five times, I will. I mean, immediately you start seeing something here. Wait a second. God is, God is determining this. I am going to show you the land. And then the second thing again is the sea. Verse 2, I, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Okay. By the way, when it means great, it doesn't mean in number and size. It means in significance. Israel is critical in significance, not in size. They've never been large in size. So when he says a great nation, what do you mean a great nation? They've never, they've, they've never, out, they've never had more people than the United States. What do you mean great? Significance, though. The Word of God, the Ten Commandments, the Law, the Messiah themselves. See, you're going to be the significant nation though you're small. So again, the you have the Palestinian covenant in the first part when he says the land and then he says I'll make you a great nation and a nation by the way has to be a great people and a great people need to have a great king. And don't we have a great king? The Lord Jesus Christ. That's second Samuel. And then third, God promised a blessing. I'm going to I will bless those who bless you and I will, you know, again, the I will, I will, I will. You can almost get tired of it. All right, don't don't get tired of the I wills of Scripture when God's speaking. Okay? But what what do we find in all this? We find this, that the Abrahamic covenant has both physical and spiritual aspects to it. There's going to be physical aspects in actual land, an actual kingdom, an actual king. But there's also going to be a spiritual aspect in that we're not just talking about the externals here, we're talking the internals. Because he says, I'm going to give you a new spirit, I'm going to give you a new heart. Well, yeah, that's going to happen to the nation at the end of the tribulation, but hasn't that happened to you already? If you've come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's not just about the externals, he's changed your heart, he's given you a, a, a new heart to be able to grasp the, spirits, uh, the, the things of the Spirit of God, right? So again, it has both the physical and spiritual aspects. Now, we participate, this is what you have to remember, we participate in the New Covenant, but the New Covenant that we we're going to see in Jeremiah 31 was specific to Israel. Well, we've been, remember Romans, and we're going to get in that detail. We were grafted in. That, is, that means that they're still... They're still going to get the new covenant someday. But we've been grafted in. So we participate in the new covenant. We participate in a new heart and forgiveness and all the blessings that we have as the church. But those same blessings of the new t- covenant are still coming to Israel. That's where people get hung up. Oh no, Israel's out, church is in. Well, that's not what Romans says. Romans says that we've been grafted in. It says that the root's still there. The brand, right? We've just have been grafted in for a time. And we participate in the new covenant and forgiveness and all the wonderful things of the new covenant. Okay, so let's see here. Where am I at? Now, question. Is this going to happen to Abraham and his seed even if he sins? Well, look it. Let's go from Genesis 12. Oh, just notice, by the way, in verse 4, he was obedient. He departed as the Lord had spoken. And then it says this. He's 75 years old. Now, mark that. 75. 75. How many? How old was he? Three quarters of a century old. Now is he um, like a man of faith? Oh, he built an altar in verse seven, and yet he's in the land. And what does he do? He lies about his wife, that I might live. Tell me that you're my sister. Well, he, she's actually his half sister, kind of half truth. But the point is, he didn't have like faith to to like you know he was this man of faith and he just trusted God and let the chips fall where they may. You see him still sinning, all right? Wouldn't that be expected? He's a sinner. <laughs> and then, then we get into the chapter 14 is, is um, you know, well, before that, chapter 13, uh, Lot divides off. Chapter 14, he gets, uh, Lot does, gets capt- uh, uh, captured. Uh, Abram rescues him. Now, I'm only saying that just to, I just want you to kind of put pieces together, Chapter 15 is where uh, God ratifies the new covenant, excuse me, God ratifies the Abrahamic covenant. God ratifies it. See, up to this point, he's told them in chapter 12, chapter 15, he actually ratifies it. How does he do that? Well, you can see Abraham is trying to figure this out. You're telling me I'm going to have a seed. And so what does he say in verse 2? Well, I go childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer. Or maybe you want my seed to come through. I mean, is it going to work somehow with Eliezer of Damascus? No, no, no. It's going to come through you. Uh, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir, verse 4. And what does it say he does? Verse 6, he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for Righteousness. One of the most powerful verses of all the Old Testament, and you see it repeated a number of times in the New. Why? Because how does a man become justified before God? Whether it's the Old or New Testament, you know how it is? He believed God. Now, how do we get saved? How do you get saved? God says this You are a sinner, and I am holy, and your sin condemns you, and there's nothing you can do. No works of righteousness that you can do that can make you righteous before me. All your, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. And, and we should be just like, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a heap on the floor, like sobbing, saying, There's no hope. <laughs> and yet Christ came, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, died on the cross, not for his sins, because he was the perfect Lamb of God, but for ours. He died for our sins, he became our sin bearer. And what does God say to us? If you receive Him, uh, if you receive Him and who He is and what He has done on the cross for your sin, for you, and then He's received Him to them, He gave the what? The right to become what? Children Children of God. If you receive Him for for your payment of sin, then I will forgive you based on what he did on the cross for you. Right? That's what it is. And what do we do? We believe God. (laughs) We believe what his word says about his son. We put our faith and trust in Christ, and you are saved. So whether it's the Old Testament, Abraham, or the New Testament, it's always the same. If if a person wants to become righteous before God, it's not by earning it through works, it's it's by receiving what God has done for them, now, again, the New Testament, it says on the cross, of what Christ has done for us on the cross. But it's believing. That's the point. It's believing. He believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, what happens? Well, it says, verse 7, I am the Lord. And he has Abraham take some animals, divide most of them except for the birds. And what does it say? Adam fell asleep. He put him to sleep. And God walked through it. And as we said last week... That's cutting a covenant. But what was he doing? God was doing this. God alone passed through, indicating that the covenant, though involving promises to Abraham and his descendants, was made by God with himself. The covenant was made by God with himself. God was saying, this is what I'm going to do. You're not walking through these pieces with me. Normally in a human covenant, cutting a covenant, you had to have both parties. God says, you're there, I'm here, and I'm going to walk through it or pass through it by myself. That means that this covenant is unilateral, <laughs> unconditional, irrevocable, sovereign. It's God. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Now, it's done. Okay. Now, and it says in uh, chapter 16, oh, by the way, Abraham, you know, okay, So what is he doing? come on. Chapter 16 is where he gets Hagar pregnant. Like, he's not paying... He's a sinful patriarch. And yet, so apparently he's out and church is in. Well, no. God said, I'm going to do it. This is what you're going to... And your sinfulness is not going to stop my plan for this. Okay? And notice he's 86 years old in verse 15. Sixty. Abram was 86. Oh wait, 75. Now he's 86. That's 11 years later. Next chapter, chapter 17. When Abram was 99, how old is he now? I mean, how, how many more years later? 13. Okay. By the way, that's what Ishmael is. 13. So he's had the kid. You know, that's kind of that story. I, I don't want to too much. But the point is he's 99 now. Okay. Appeared to Abram, said, I am the Lord. By this point, you'd have to say, you know, Abraham, you're sinning. You know, it wasn't supposed to be Ishmael. You know, you weren't listening. You're disobedient. I'm sorry, Abraham, but I'm going to have to put you aside. Get another covenant with somebody else that's more obedient. No. This is where he establishes the everlasting covenant. I mean, again, and he basically reiterates everything he did in chapter 12. But notice what he says in verse 8, he mentions the land. And I will be, or excuse me, um, uh, second part of verse 8, uh, uh, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Okay, everlasting. And then uh, verse 13, everlasting covenant. And verse 19, everlasting covenant. And there's one other one that I missed. And, uh, but notice the I will verse 6. I will make you exceeding fruitful, and I will make, your na- uh, make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants. And there, like I said, there's four times. That, oh, that's right there. And for an everlasting covenant. Four times. Abram doesn't listen to God, he gets Hagar pregnant with Ishmael, Ishmael's 13 years old, and God still comes back and says, this is what I'm going to do, and he basically reaffirms the Abrahamic covenant. This is where, by the way, his name is changed. Abraham's uh, name is changed in verse 4, 5, and then Sarah's in verse 15. And then he states, verse 21, in my covenant I will establish with Isaac. He just talked about Ishmael. Yes, I'm going to bless Ishmael. You know why I'm going to bless Ishmael? Because it's your seed. And, and Abraham, I'm going to bless you even if when you're sinning I'm going to bless you. He doesn't bless the sin, but he says, I'm blessing you and since that's one of your sons, I'm going to bless him. And that's where the, you know, the um, Arab people have come from or at least that's what tradition says. So again, and then, and then you, uh, then um, the Son of Promise is chapter 18, and then in chapter what 20, 21 is uh, Isaac is actually born. I mean, he's he's presented in chapter 18, 21. He's born. 22 is where the sacrifice and Abraham was willing to even sacrifice his son. However, it does say we will go up and we will come back. So God or Abraham knew that even if I, even if he slayed had slain um, Isaac, somehow that boy was going to live because he was the promised one. Very, very important. You see the faith of Abraham. But notice chapter 22, verse 17. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called Abraham, Abraham a second time out of heaven. This is after that, you know, sacrifice. And said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, again, the son of promise. Look at verse 17. I will bless you. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will. Now just notice that I will. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Again, confirming the Abrahamic covenant. Oh, it is interesting, but this is just a real side note. When Abraham is said that he's going to have a child, he laughs. Remember that? It's in chapter 17, verse 17. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to his, shall a child be born to a man that is a hundred years old? And when Sarah hears about it, and this is in chapter 18, Verse 12, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself. She laughed. And the Lord basically pointed out it was just within herself, but you were laughing. Well, Isaac means he laughed. Okay? So, can you imagine every time you call the kid, it's both a rebuke and a confirmation that God is walking with you. Come here, Isaac. Oh, that's right. It means he laughs. (laughs) Yeah, I remember when I laughed. I remember when I laughed and didn't have... And then... But then now she's laughing out of joy. Okay, it's just a neat little reminder sometimes. God, <laughs> it's pretty cool. But, confirmation of the Abrahamic covenant. Wait, we're talking about, up to this point, twice uh, Abraham lies about his wife to do different uh, situations. He has a, the wrong child. He's not thinking straight in some of this stuff. And yet God, in the end of it, in chapter 22, still says... What I told you in chapter 12 still holds true. What? S- the sinfulness of people do not does not eradicate what God wants to do, all right? His plan. It doesn't negate his plan. Now, Abraham is born or lives around 2000 BC. Okay? You want to catch that number 2000 BC. Now, you have many many years and sometimes when we have years, we forget. We forget that God is outside of time. We forget that you know the patience of God. Let's go a thousand years ahead of time. So Abraham is 2000 BC. Let's go to a thousand BC, a thousand years later. That's like somebody telling one of your great 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 grandparents back in 1000 AD. Right. Now it would probably be from an Indian, right? Because nobody else was here. But the point is, is this: Think about a thousand years. That's a long time. A thousand years. And now David's living, and this is the Davidic covenant. Okay, we're only going to look at two of We're not even going to look at the Palestinian covenant. It just takes too long. But the Davidic covenant, the Davidic covenant. This is a thousand years later, and he's and God is going to expand the Abrahamic covenant to his. To David, it's called the Davidic covenant. Primarily about the seed. It's about the king. Okay, and let me let me read this for you. It's found in Second Samuel chapter seven. Second Samuel seven, and it says, "Now therefore, thus I, I, I haven't given you enough time." Second Samuel, Second Samuel is right after First Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, second, and some of you are probably like, you know, where's that index? Well, if you had a MacArthur study... Bu- no, I won't. Now, actually, if you do have a MacArthur, it's uh, found in 2 Samuel. I'm not even there myself. Uh, it's on page 436. Okay, 2 Samuel 7, verse 8. Now, this is spoken by the prophet Nathan. Now, therefore, thus sh- shall you say to my servant David, this is God's to Nathan, tell David this, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, this is talking about David specific, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. I've been, and I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made a great, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Now, again, what did Abraham? Great name, right? Great people, great name. Moreover, moreover, I will appoint a place for for my people Israel and will plant them, again, that's the land, that they may dwell in a place of their own and and, uh, move no more. So that's reiterating the Palestinian covenant. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies... Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you. Again, I will, who will come from your body. I will establish his kingdom. Now, when he's talking about uh, his kingdom, that's talking about Christ. That's, that's, again, this is called the Davidic uh, covenant. This is where, this is the passage. Now, again, up to this point, let, let me just give you a quick history. From Genesis, now you go through the Exodus, all the wanderings, they're in the land, you know, they uh, had Saul as, well, they had the judges, they had Saul as king, then David, and that's where we're at. So, I mean, there's a lot of history that has happened up to this point. He says, listen, I'm going to establish a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, there was no king in Israel that ever had a forever kingdom. What was Saul 40, David 40, I think Solomon was 40, I mean, and then and then after Solomon, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, and the kingdom split, and then the northern side goes to, you know, with Assyria, the Babylonians, in 586 through 605, or 605-586, you know, they get taken I mean, there's no, it's either he's lying, because it's right after this that the kingdom is start is going to be split, I mean, after Solomon, just within 60 years, okay, but he says, I'm going to establish a kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now, at that point in verse 14, he talks about chastisement. See, he keeps bringing in the forever kingdom. And there's going to be times of chastisement. And there was. I mean, when Israel split and Israel and, and Judah in the south. And uh, God sent his prophets. And they would not listen. And they went keep going back to Baal. And Astaroth and all the gods. But the point is this. What God was saying is, but listen, your disobedience does not negate my covenant. Let me just finish that verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. Gee, you know, I, I just don't know what God is trying to get at there. It's going to be forever kingdom. Well, what is, when does that get realized? It hasn't. Israel's never been the land, never been safe, never forever kingdom. Well, actually what ends up happening, in the uh, you see in Revelation 20, the millennial kingdom, with the Jews, thousand years. Now you say, well, a thousand years, that's not millennial. Yeah, but then and immediately after, what happens? The eternal state. And when does Christ stop reigning after he sets down on David's throne in the millennial kingdom? When does he stop reigning? Never. <laughs> it goes right from the thousand year reign right into forever, right? So this was going to be literally fulfilled. But it's fulfilled unconditionally. It doesn't have to do with your obedience. Dave, David? Now think about David, who we're we talking about here. You know? I'm establishing your. Well, this is chapter 7. When does he sin with Bathsheba? Chapter. Let's see here. 12, I, I, I don't know exact time frame, yeah. oh, 11 and 12, yeah, 12 is where the, but we're just talking, <laughs> now, now, at this point, you would be saying, okay, got it, Abraham, not perfect, still thousand years later, got it, okay, made a promise, David, but pretty bad, David, <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> adultery, murder, basically broke all the Ten Commandments. Uh, It must, okay, it stops with the Davidic covenant. Well, what happens? Uh, Israel, Judah, Israel's taken, I mean, the ten northern tribes are taken first, what, 700s B.C. Then finally, Judah is taken, uh, 586. Finally, they're all gone, you know, and then that's where you get the people like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they were captive. They were in the captivity. They had seen Jerusalem. That's where you get lamentations, right? The, oh, Jerusalem. And they destroyed. The, you know, Jerusalem, the, the great city, has been destroyed by Babylon. And, you know, I mean, everything is taken away. Now, at that point, let me tell you, as a Jewish person, you'd be real discouraged. And you'd really wonder about, okay, yeah, it was given to David, but then David sinned. And then after David was Solomon, he was no godly man, right? I mean he started out good. He ended well in the sense he at least was able to write Ecclesiastes, but you know, I mean he was I mean, anybody that had seven hundred wives just isn't gonna you know, that's not I mean if he was trusting in himself. So and then now the king the northern, you know, is gone and the southern and they're in captivity. I mean surely by this point the Abrahamic covenant is done, right? I mean that's how and that's exactly how most Christians think. Most of Christianity would say that. Yeah. Yeah they're You know, they were sinful, and now what happens? New Testament, the church. Christ comes for the church. It's the bride of Christ. Well, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah. Again, Jeremiah lived during the days of the destruction of the Davidic kingdom, as far as when David and Solomon. And then, um, you know, what came from that. This is 600 B.C., So now we've gone, Abraham was 200 B.C. Remember, we work negative, so we go to zero. 2,000, David is 1,000 years later, 100, or 2,000, 1,000, now this is 400 years later. This is longer than America has been a nation, all right? 600 B.C., thereabouts. Jeremiah 23. Behold, this is when Israel is in captivity, this is when Israel would assume that God's covenant is done. You know, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a a branch, a shoot. And, and what does it say? A branch of, what's the word? Righteousness. Hmm, I wonder who he is. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell safely. That has never happened since the Babylon. I mean, they came back to the land, but then, then it was Greece and Rome and all these, you know, well, Persia, and then Rome. You know, you get the point. The, the point is, the Gentiles were always over Israel. But he says, "I," and Israel dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord of Righteousness. That's the Lord. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord that they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up, uh, brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from all countries where I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their land. And this is literal, this is Israel, not the church. See, once the, some of them came back from the Babylonian captivity, but they all didn't. And they were dispersed. Now, some of them trickle back. And even during the time of Christ, and then in 70 A.D., the temple is destroyed, and then they're finally fully dispersed. Now, some would say, well, but look what's happening. Israel's coming back. They're a nation. 1948. Well, yeah, this is the precursor. But there's coming a day when they all are back in the land. And the Lord, our righteous, is the one reigning. And again, that's the millennial kingdom. And all this is done for Israel, not because they were obedient. They were given the, this, this promise was given when they were in the, out of the land, in disobedience. I mean, when you read Ezekiel and Jeremiah, just remember, Israel out of land in disobedience. Very, very important. So what is God saying? God is saying this obedience is not the condition that determines the fulfillment. It's not obedience. It's divine sovereignty. His power is the condition that determines obedience, that it will lead to the fulfillment. In other words, God's power is going to change the hearts of the people of Israel to look to the one that they have uh, slain, right? Jeremiah, uh, Zechariah. And their hearts will be changed and want to embrace the Messiah. And everything will be God's glory. Everything. Now I can see I'm almost out of time again. How about Ezekiel 36? We get a glimpse of why, he, why do you do this, Lord? Why, why are you doing this? With, why don't you just give up on this people? They are this obst, obstinate, stubborn people. Ezekiel 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, now again, Ezekiel, in captivity... Thus saith the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. I'm doing this for me. What do you mean? What do you mean? Which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went, and I will sanctify my great name, which you have profaned. See, in other words, it's all about God. (laughs) Look at the end of verse twenty-three. When I am hallowed in you be before their eyes, I mean the world's going to look at you and say, "Wow!" I'm saying at the end, "Wow! What a God! What a God!" I mean, look at all the from Abraham and all the sin and all the, and yet he held to his word. Now well, let's just read verse twenty-four. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Well, by the way, the heart of flesh there is not carnal. He's saying a heart of flesh can pump. A heart of stone doesn't do anything. Your heart's going to be Mine. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. That's the new covenant. That happens at the end of the tribulation. And everybody's going to know it's not you. By the way, have they ever had that happen as a people? Has Israel, as a nation, ever looked to the, the Lord their God? No. They crucified him. (laughs) But beyond that, they reject him right now. So therefore, God God is not protecting Israel. He's only preserving Israel at the moment. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 is, is what I read last week at the very end, very quickly. But again, same thing. I will, I will, I'll make it out of the house of Israel. You can read it sometime. Isaiah 31 verses 31 to 36. But there is one interesting thing. He mentions this, and I know I, I showed it and read it, but he says, he says this after that, and like a repeat of what we just read in Ezekiel 36. He, he did it in Jer- Jeremiah 31. He says this, And I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And then he says this, Thus saith the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, The ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. Now this is who I'm, you know, I made the world, put the lights in the sky. And then he says this, If those ordinances depart, if the sun stops shining, if the moon stops reflecting from before me, says the Lord, then the, the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. I mean, write that one down. Verse 36. As long as you see the sun in the sky, moon and stars, just know Israel still will be. If they ever cease to be a nation, I'm just telling you, find another God. I really mean that. Find another God because the one you're dealing with right now is false. Because he has put his name on it and he says you can look at the sky and just know as long as you see the sun and the moon, Israel will still be and there's still a purpose for that nation. Well, how do I because I told Abraham I am faithful. So what's the conclusions? Well, similar to last week but I've added. You're going to get it, right? What's the biggest conclusion here? God. God is the biggest conclusion. His reputation is on the line. Is he truthful? Does he tell the truth? Can we believe him? Is he faithful? Is he faithful? Is he good? I tell you one thing we learn about God here. This is 4,000 years of history. We learn that God is patient. We are impatient, aren't we? You know, are we impatient? Lord, will you just answer the prayer request? He says, listen, I made the promise 4,000 years. Literally, it is 4,000 years ago. Just be patient. I told you that if you receive my son, ultimately you're going to be glorified in heaven with me forever. Just be patient. If you can't trust what God said to Abraham, I don't know why you're trusting what what he says to you about salvation. God is patient. Everything's under control. See, we learn in this that he is truthful, he is patient, he is knowledgeable because he knew the end from the beginning, right? Like Isaiah says, you know, the end from the beginning, my counsel shall stand, I will do all my pleasure. But what else do we learn? Not only is he all-knowing, but he's all-powerful. He is accomplishing his purposes. History is moving in the exact direction of what he desires. He created this world, and he will bring this world to an end. And nobody's going to stop that. So what are we saying? God's integrity is at stake. Sometimes I think people flip this Israel, you know, church is Israel. The integrity of God is at stake in this argument. Okay, this is very important stuff. God desires to be glorified. Uh, We'll look at some verses next week. But let me just read one little quote I, I find interesting. I know I'm almost out of time. I do hate one thing in this world other than sin. That is the clock. After God indicated that he formed Israel, Isaiah 43, this is another passage you don't have to turn to. He declared that he created the nation for his glory. this people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise that 's why in, in isaiah forty six it says Israel, my glory. boy, you know that would be a really good name for a, uh, uh, a Christian uh, um, magazine Israel my glory oh um, by the way, what is what is someone 's glory? It is what makes you impressive or influential about you to others. That's what your glory is. Like uh, in uh, Genesis 31, it says that Jacob's wealth was his glory. In other words, people looked at him and like, Phew, wow, look at how rich that guy is. You know, Joseph, you know, in, in Egypt. Genesis, and Genesis. Thus, God's glory is whatever is impressive or influential concerning God. That God has purposed to glorify himself through Israel indicates he intends through that nation to so impress the world with with who he is and how great he is, that he will have life-changing influence on a multitude of people. In other words, people are going to look at Israel at the end of human history and say, wow! For 4,000 years, look at how, though they were hunted and persecuted and suffered, look at how God preserved them and even used them in the end. Wow! Not... Wow, what a nation. They're just small. Wow, what a God. What a God. So, God's name's at stake, His reputation. Second, our understanding of sin. Again, sin and sinners do not derail the plan and purpose of God. And, and again, I, I brought these same points up because you saw that clearer today, didn't you? <laughs> I mean, we ended last week just quickly at Jeremiah, but it was during the captivity in Babylon that a lot of these promises were given. God kept saying, don't think because you're sinning and you have sinned and I have sent you into captivity for 70 years that somehow that nullifies the promises I made to Abraham and to Jacob and to Isaac and you just keep seeing them and to David. In fact, when I gave it to David, I expanded on it. Now there's a kingdom and a king. Don't think, oh, and you're going to get the land. Hey, your sinfulness is not overwhelming my sovereignty. Number three, understanding truth. We'll build on this next week. If you don't get Israel straight, you're not going to get eschatology straight. It's that simple. If we get our hermeneutics straight, our understanding, our interpretation of Scripture straight, then I think you get the covenant straight. Okay? Okay? Literal interpretation, normal interpretation, you got the covenants. What are you going to get then? You're going to get election straight, because that's what we're talking about here. God elected a nation. You get Israel straight, or excuse me, the uh, election straight. Now we get God straight. And we get Israel straight. I mean, everything, beca- and, and now you get eschatology straight. See, it starts with the right hermeneutics. When God said Israel, He is talking about Israel. And I believe that God is so sovereign that He can elect a people, and throughout all human history, He's going to end, and those people will still be standing. Okay? So it, the third thing is we understand truth. We need to get Israel straight because we understand truth. Yes, we get God straight. We understand our own sinfulness and how it doesn't negate God's promises. We get truth straight. Number three, four, knowing what time it is. I wish Brandy was here. Brandy's not here. She sent me a neat little thing. Uh, A guy, George Markey, said this, Israel is God's clock. Israel is God's clock. If you want to know where we are in the grand scheme of history, just look at Israel because Israel is God's clock. The idea is this. We see, oh, God is working. Sure, Israel. Okay, they're still here as a nation. And again, build on that. And then finally, our security. If God has been faithful to them, He's going to be faithful to us. If we really say He's not faithful to them as a nation, I find it hard for for us. How, How do you know that when He says, if you receive my Son, you're going to be forgiven? Is God a God of truth? Can He pull it off? Because let's face it, I don't know about you, but my salvation is not on my shoulders. It's because I've received His Son, and you know who's going to pull it off in the end? Confident in this very thing, that He who began a good work in me, what? We'll finish it. Lord, please finish it. (laughs) Because I can't finish it. I can't. You can't finish your salvation. It's all in Christ. It's all on Him. Now, let me finish. Let me just say one last little thing. Do I sound confident? I'm getting real frustrated with this world because you know what this world wants to do? There's no truth. Now, you know what they want to do with that then? If you are confident in something, they're going to say that you're arrogant. They're trying to say this, confidence equals arrogance. No, it doesn't. If you find the truth in the word of God based on normal, literal interpretation, why can't you be confident about that? Be very careful, because what people, and I've I've even seen some good preachers go down this path, they keep saying this, well, I can't believe you're so confident. Well, who are you? Who are you to think that you have the corner on truth? I don't. But if you just open up the book in Ezekiel, where they're in captivity, and God keeps telling through a prophet, I will, how do you take that? Right? Don't back down because you're confident in truth. They will keep saying, you are arrogant. No, no. I can be bold, and I can be humble, and I can be confident, because this is not my truth. This is just what the Bible says, and let me add this word, plainly. So whether you're talking about the the purpose of Israel, or that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through me, right? Do not think, oh... Well, you know, this is just what I think. No, it isn't. This is what the book says. Be confident. And if if they ever say, well, that sounds pretty arrogant. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is what the book says. We need to be truth tellers. And I'm afraid that that little comment, oh, that was pretty arrogant, just like this, does this to us. I don't want to be arrogant. no. I am just telling you what is clearly in Scripture. Amen? Let's praise God.